Hey folks, my name is Ike Morgan and we are down in Alabama. Now, we're literally down in Alabama covering as much news as we can from Lookout Mountain to Mobile Bay. And Down in Alabama is also the name of our show. We spend about three to five minutes daily going over a handful of news and culture stories that are a mix of the top stories and maybe the most overlooked stories and sometimes just the most Alabama stories of the day. Now, there's not a strict definition of what the most Alabama stories of the day are, but you know them when you see them. So y'all come on by and give us a listen. And bring a sense of humor, because we take the news seriously, but not ourselves. The show is called Down in Alabama, and we're available wherever you listen to your podcasts. For AL.com, I'm Ben Flanagan. This is Outbreak Alabama. Stories from a pandemic. To me, the biggest question right now is not whether we start the season, it's whether we finish the season. Today we hear from AL.com senior sports editor, John Talty. John is a very well-sourced insider reporting on Southeastern Conference sports, most recently on the league's effort to preserve a 2020 college football season. Three of the Power Five football conferences have announced their 2020 plans for a college football season amid the coronavirus not including the SEC, whose presidents and chancellors are currently meeting, potentially unveiling their own plan as soon as Thursday, July 30th. Many questions remain unanswered about the logistical and financial implications a 2020 college football season will have on major programs, with Alabama Athletics Director Greg Byrne even telling fans their program will be significantly impacted depending on future ticket sales. And medical experts like UAB's infectious disease director, Dr. Michael Sag, have told outlets like Paul Feinbaum's show on ESPN it's going to take a collective effort from literally everyone to help contain the virus if we want to have a college football season this year. If we all, all of us right now, double down, triple down on all the things we know to to stop infection, we all are wearing masks, we're all keeping distance, we're doing it religiously, we've got four to six weeks to bring the epidemic under control, and we can do that so that let's say... I spoke to John Talty about the SEC talks framing their 2020 plans, what a conference-only schedule would look like, if and how fans will be allowed to attend games, and most importantly, if there will even be a college football season at all. Okay, John, you wrote today that The SEC's 14 presidents and chancellors are meeting today, Thursday, to discuss football scheduling options and that there is some momentum behind a 10-game conference-only schedule. Now, the ACC announced an 11-game football schedule, making it now three of the Power Five conferences who have established their 2020 plans for their seasons. And your story says that the SEC presidents don't have to make any big decisions today and that they could even wait another week to announce anything. So what are those talks now? What are those talks like? What are they discussing specifically? And what are we waiting to hear this week? Yeah, I think there's there's a couple of key things that they need to figure out. You know, first and foremost, I think is you know how many games are they going to play? You've seen different conferences do different things. You know, outside of the FBS level, you know, obviously we've seen the Ivy League move back its you know conference schedule completely to the spring. You at the Power Five level, you know, we've seen the Big Ten and Pac-12 go with conference only approaches. The ACC got ahead of the SEC on Wednesday by doing a 10 plus one kind of hybrid model, which is 10 conference games plus one potential non-conference game. 
So the SEC needs to figure out, A, you know, what is the modeling of schedule approach that they want to do? And then a big part of that is going to be when do you start the season? The feeling headed into this week and heading into this important meeting on Thursday was that you know, the SEC could push back its start of the schedule, whether that's a week or two, maybe three weeks, something like that, to get a better sense, to get some more data from some of these professional leagues and, and be able to kind of do it safer. So that was the feeling kind of heading into this week. And that's one of the things that they have to really kind of, you know, decide on, you know, okay, how many games do we want to do? And then secondly, when do we want to start the season? And so that's why you know, they're meeting virtually on Thursday uh, to just kind of go through those key issues to figure out, you know, what's the safest approach and what makes the most sense for all the different schools. Yeah. And so what would a 10 game conference only schedule look like? Let's say specifically for Alabama and Auburn. The idea would be that they would play, you know, they would get one additional home game and then one additional road game, you know, in the sense that from what I had heard to this point, you know, and it's still flexible, but like Alabama would potentially play, you know, two out of, you know, Vanderbilt, Florida, Missouri. And those are kind of the schools that are next up on their list of, uh, you know, SEC East rotational opponents anyway. So that kind of feels like part of the way that they'll decide that. But, you know, from what I've been told, like, those schools already have a pretty good sense as to who would be those additional opponents that they'd have to face. And you know, the ACC decided to scrap its divisions this year. They also added in Notre Dame um, full-time for just this year. Uh, I mean, who knows, maybe they'll add them in the future as well. But the SEC is not going to do something like that, from my understanding. They're not going to get rid of the SEC East and SEC West divisions for this year. They're going to generally keep the same approach and just add two you know, cross-divisional games for each school. I'll ask the same question you did in your story. Why a conference-only approach, and what are the competitive and financial implications of losing those non-conference games? Yeah, so it's, it's a few things. One, I think ultimately what you're seeing, and this is what I've been told around the SEC, and I think you probably have seen similar rationale from some of these other conferences when they've made their decisions. Essentially, if you do conference-only, you control all the variables. You know, There's going to be a lot of probably moving pieces this season. You know, We've already seen it at the MLB level, you know, games getting postponed, things getting moved around. Like you basically have to be very flexible. Well, baseball can do it because it's one singular league. In college football, every kind of different conference is its own fiefdom to some extent. And so if you control all of it, if it's all only conference only games, you know, if Alabama, Georgia has to be postponed for some reason, well, you just move it around. You maybe slide a game in somewhere else. You can move the schedule around a lot easier than, you know, if you have to coordinate all these non-conference games, you know, all right, you got to deal with the Sun Belt and the ACC and the Big 12. It just adds a lot of potential headaches. And, you know, I wrote in my story, we've seen over this process that for as much as these conferences have talked about how they've never been more connected and how they've, you know, they understand things better than ever because they're having these daily conference calls. I mean, they're ultimately all doing their own thing. And so every conference is going to act out of its own selfish interests. And so rather than having to deal with that, you can eliminate all those potential headaches and instead just focus on, you know, we're going to do everything. We'll establish protocols for everybody and do all that. To answer the second part of your question, it's going to be a massive hit for these group of five schools. You know, they were, they really depend on these very expensive buy games, as they're called, in which, you know, a school like Alabama or Auburn pays you a million dollars plus to come to their school. And essentially, they're buying wins. They know that you're probably a lesser opponent. And so these group of five schools rely on that you know, revenue to kind of pay for the other things. So they don't have the big TV contracts the way the SEC and ACC and those other programs do. And so, you know, for in-state programs like UAB and Troy and South Alabama, eliminating all of those games would, would you know, have a pretty important and you know, unfortunate for them financial impact. 
Yeah, and speaking of which, our colleague Michael Casagrande, he reported this week that Alabama Athletics Director Greg Byrne, he wrote a letter to fans about the challenges that the department faces with coronavirus threatening fall sports. He noted some cost-saving measures that Alabama is taking. In his words, under normal operations, a large percentage of their annual budget comes directly from ticket sales and tied pride memberships. And any modified seating model at Bryant-Denny Stadium will impact those numbers significantly. So what might that impact be on a program like Alabama's? Yeah, it's significant. You know, it's, I think, uh, as... Michael had previously reported based on their financial report, I think they get $36 million from, from ticket sales alone. And obviously there's, you know, kind of uh, donations and other things that are attached to that in order just to buy those tickets. And, you know, having no fans in the stands or having a very limited amount of fans, which I think is what most people expect at this point, would have a, a massive impact. And you know, the thing that helps a school like Alabama is, and I hit on it earlier, they get a lot of money from TV revenue. And so it's still worth it for them to play the games, even if there is limited to no fans and no revenue coming from that. It's kind of a, sh- you know, it would certainly have impacts. It certainly could slow down some of the, you know, construction projects that they're doing. You know, they've obviously done a lot with, you know, the Bryant Denny Stadium, which we've written about, but, you know, they have plans for Coleman Coliseum and things like that. You know, maybe this slows down some of that, but it, it's going to cause some bite, some belt tightening kind of across the board. And again, fortunately for Alabama, it is one of the, you know, the richest athletic departments in the country. They generate a lot of revenue from football. And so they're probably going to be better off than the average program. But for certainly other schools, even at the power five level, it's going to potentially you know, have a pretty dramatic impact. And you're going to see pay cuts and furloughs and layoffs and positions frozen and kind of down the board. You know, there's just no way probably to sustain some of the spending that's going on right now if you don't have any of that revenue coming in. Yeah, and speaking of fans in the stands, how do fans fit into these plans? Are we looking at a season without fans in the stands? Is it a foregone conclusion that we won't have fans in the stands this year? No, it's not. I think there's definitely potential for there to be fans in the stands. I think that's something, you know, I've talked to people around the SEC. They are still actively working on those things, you know, talking to different schools. Like, they haven't given up on that. They still want to have fans in the stands, especially if it can be done safely. And so I think what you might see is just, Something that I've written about and other people have written about in the past is you might have to see kind of a, a socially distanced model within a stadium. And so that would cut down your capacity, you know, probably anywhere from 15 to 25 percent, depending on your kind of stadium structure and also just kind of how, you know, you have multiple people from the same family. You might be able to fit in a couple extra people and how you space them out. But I think that at the start of the season, you might not see many games that have fans. Um, we've already seen, you know. A couple different, uh, for instance, in New Jersey, Rutgers has already been told the maximum amount of fans they could have at a game at this point is 500. Uh, I think that the SEC schools would probably be able to put in potentially more than that. But ultimately, it's going to come down to really state by state what the government leadership in those states does. You know, ultimately, it's going to be what those governors and you know other leaders decide kind of what the mass amount of gathering can be, you know, all those different things, you know. And for Rutgers standpoint, it was kind of taken out of their hands. It was the New Jersey governor that, that made that decision. And so what you might see in Georgia could be different than for Texas A&M versus, you know, Mississippi. They could all have different policies. I think the SEC would like to have one overall policy, but you ultimately might just see kind of different approaches just based on, you know, what those states governors decide. 
So on Paul Feinbaum's show, UAB's infectious disease director, Dr. Michael Sag, said that he thinks that a season is possible if we, quote, triple down on stopping infection, including wearing masks and distancing. Then we can contain the virus and bring numbers down to a point where the season can happen in that four to six week time span. But if we're still where we are now at that point, He's obviously not as optimistic. I wonder, does that hold up with what you're hearing doctors might be telling these major football programs in the NCAA about what needs to happen in order for there to be a season? Yeah, I think it is. You know, I think that there's been a bit of, a, I would say, a growing divide. I think it's some, some of the kind of commentary you're getting from infectious disease experts and epidemiologists versus you know what you hear maybe from athletic directors and things like that. I think certainly everyone's very aware as to Things have trended the the wrong direction, especially over the last month or so. But I think ultimately what you're going to see is that these schools and conferences, like they want the best decision possible. And so I think what you might see is that, okay, if the numbers do look bad, you might say, all right, let's pause things for a little bit. Let's push it back a little bit. Let's try to, you know, buy ourselves some extra time for those numbers to kind of, you know, reverse a bit. And so I think that, you know, I know Dr. Sag is somebody who is, you know, a well-respected voice. I've talked to him. I, I respect what he's saying. And I think there are other people around the SEC and other conferences, you know, in similar positions as him giving that same kind of advice. And I think that will be certainly taken into account. But you've seen some different athletic leaders essentially say, you know, we haven't been told we have to shut it down yet. And until we're told that, we're going to kind of keep moving ahead. And so unless you see you know, some of these different experts really come out and just say, you can't possibly do this. As long as there's, I think, wiggle room, they're going to try to find a way to get the games in. Yeah. And so, John, my last thing for you, we've seen professional athletes, whether that's in the NBA, Major League Baseball, and now more so than ever, the NFL, where athletes are opting out of playing in their upcoming seasons. And some of those are obviously now active. And I feel like we're going to see more of that even with college players who don't get paid millions of dollars to play. And so that's casting some doubt on whether a season can happen, say, if athletes aren't participating. So my last question for you, this is all anyone wants to know based on everything you've said and these things that are happening. Do you think we will have a college football season? I do. To me, the biggest question right now is not whether we start the season, it's whether we finish the season. I think that we have seen momentum and a, a real willingness and eagerness, I guess I should say, to try to have football this fall. And whether that's the SEC, you know, ACC, whatnot. But again, as we've seen with MLB and some of the kind of start and stops they've had already, there's just a lot of complications and I think a lot of concerns people have, you know, people like Dr. Sag about how you're going to survive an entire season without having mass outbreaks and forfeits and all those kind of things. And so as of, you know, today, I believe that we will have some college football games in the fall, barring, of course, you know, massive changes in the coronavirus numbers. But I think the much bigger concern is whether we can get a full season. And I think it's going to be challenging to try to see whatever schedule these different conferences come up with to actually complete every single one of those games on time as currently scheduled. John, thank you very much. Appreciate you having me on. Shortly after our conversation, John reported that the SEC is moving to a 10-game conference schedule, according to his sources. 
The league has also moved back the start of the season to September 26th and the SEC championship game to December 19th. If you or anyone you know is affected by coronavirus and want to share your story, please email bflanagan at al.com. That's B-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N at al.com. For all of our coverage on the outbreak and how it continues to impact Alabama, visit al.com slash coronavirus. If you like the show, please rate us and write a review. Thanks for listening.